the very concept of the institution of higher learning is about to be broken. The gym teacher. We have no idea what he's capable of. Enough is enough. It's time for a collective activity of all of us who are engaged in resistance in some form or other to learn how to collaborate together, to end our isolation, to end our particulars, and to become part of that universal movement that says... The revolution will be broadcast. Intellectuals are not a, a cherished aristocracy within society. They, they are sort of isolated within their own ivory tower. Now I realize that you must stick close together because you share a common goddamn backbone, but I want to see some movement. You have to have a movement, please. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. The Fundamental Movement. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Fundamental Movement. My name's uh, Dean Dudley, uh, and our usual panel, minus one today, we have Aaron, Andy, and Nathan, and I think Joey's off being born somewhere, so we'll hopefully catch him up on the next uh, podcast. Today's topic is, uh, if exercise is medicine, is PE really the pill not taken? Uh, a couple few years back, uh, uh, an academic... Um, familiar to uh, Aaron and myself and a bit of a friend wrote a fairly controversial paper on this topic asking um, asking uh, policymakers and teachers to say or to justify whether physical education was actually capable of achieving the public health goals uh, that a lot of politicians and a lot of syllabus documents claim they can. So I want to throw it out to the panel today. What 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 role do we think physical education has in addressing some of the public health issues we're confronted with in our various countries and communities and schools, for that matter? Anyone want to kick us off with their thoughts? All right, Andy, you go nuts. I'm, I'm going to throw right back to you, Dean, because I remember a few months ago we were having this discussion and you referenced a paper or a researcher, something to do with the... Um, uh, you can't run from obesity. Mm. Do you remember that? I do. You can't outrun the fork. <laughs> I remember saying something along those yeah, lines. So, um, so can, can you, do you, what do you remember about that? Because I think that was kind of an interesting perspective. I, I think, I think when we talk about, I think when we talk about physical education's role in public health, I think we have to think maybe beyond just obesity. I mean, obesity and the, and the, the disease complications that flow on from that are numerous and obviously significant and in the front of mind of of most physical educators but it's not just it's not just obesity that i think <coughs> trying to address in a physical education context uh, the, the 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 paper you referred to there was uh, there's been a lot of studies recently that have said that you know really no no amount of physical activity is really going to be able to address the obesity epidemic. We really have to tackle it from uh, a dietary perspective, and in terms of the argument, they're saying that probably upwards of seventy five to eighty percent of the diseases associated with poor diet, like obesity, like diabetes, you know, need to be addressed through dietary interventions and maybe less than 20% of it can be actually addressed through physical activity. I just go thought... Sorry. Go, go, Aaron. I yeah. think 
I think what this whole idea of at least adopting this public health perspective helps us to gain some some uh, I guess footing in the in the whole resonating with society. I think that's one of them, one of our problems in PE is um, McKinsey's written a recent paper related to physical literacy in this as well. That basically that we've we're we're as a field we just jump from uh, we're, we're kind of lack of a better term we're bed hoppers. We just jump from whatever bed we think someone will provide us some love, and and if you look over the last fifty years, we've jumped from topic to topic to topic, and they articulate all these from movement education to um, integration to inquiry to all these different things, and we really don't know. Others have called it a muddled mission. What the heck are we in PE? And I think that's really hurt us um, as far as trying to resonate with society, who ultimately makes decisions and and values what we do in education, et cetera, and it. By tying on to public health, related to our whole push to have physical activity as our primary, one of the primary outcomes, if you look at physical literacy, all these other things, I think when we look back on the public health, it helps us gain some footing, is at least we have, we stand for something, and the key, though, is to maintain that. We have a history, again, in the next five or six years, we'll change it and we'll be something else, and that's our problem. Hopefully, we can adapt this public, adopt this public health perspective and and continue to move forward with it. Yeah, I think I think you make a good point. I think I think uh, uh, Mackenzie. I think he wrote that in that paper. He says that uh, P has so many objectives, and therefore it gets criticised having a muddled mission. I know, in an Australian context, we call it the uh, political dumping ground. Right. So, the, in in my state, for example, it's not just physical education you teach. It's not even health and physical education you teach. It's personal development, health, and physical education is the subject, and everything gets dropped in that. Everything from drug use to road safety, to nutrition, to um, uh, sexual health. I mean, it is such a plethora of a field that I think you're partially right is that we find ourselves really just floating on political whims. You know, education is the great is the great panacea, you know, solves all society's problems. So when when other other agencies when other agencies want to um, want to address a concern, whether it be a health concern, whether it be a, a social issue, is and then they turn to schools and say, well schools have a big role to play here Unfortunately, I think we're on the receiving end uh, quite a lot. Nathan, you had something on that. Yeah, and, and I think like you've just sort of um, shared some of the point that I that I wanted to make in all of this is like coming from the practitioner background. Um, that you're right; it does it does sometimes feel like it's being pushed down from above, whether it's coming from government or um, local level or research that. I think as a practitioner, sometimes it, you can be confused by that idea of that, well, is it my responsibility to make sure that these kids are not obese <laughs> and are not going to be unhealthy? Like that, that often as a physical educator, that people look to you, even, in, even within a school setting, and say like, well, what are you doing to, to, uh, to remedy this? Um, when, I don't know, in my opinion, it needs to be like, the whole village needs to be the ones that are that are responsible for it. It can't be just physical education. Like we obviously have in our profession maybe more knowledge or training or sort of the disposition to be able to maybe do some of those things a bit better than someone who's, say, a math-trained teacher or something like that. But the math 
teacher has just as much of a responsibility to make sure that their students are being healthy in other ways that, as we do, that they're being healthy in a, in a physical way, if you want to look at it in that sense. So the idea that it's sort of, it, it can get confusing as a practitioner, I think sometimes as to, well, what, what is expected of me? Um, I think what you, should I be doing? I think your concerns are, are well, are well heard. And I think, um, I think what we, I think even practitioners sometimes you know, they look at their they look at their syllabus documents or they look at their curriculum and they're really jumping all over the place. But I think one thing comes out if we look at from the UN down, and I think it, it, it just feels free to speak up if I'm speaking out of turn here. Do we all, at least everyone on this panel, and most of the people that I think that we can speak on behalf of or have contacts with, think that? that improving the health of children is core to our business. I think just improving the life of children in general is our core business, whether that's their, their physical okay. health or anything. Well I, well, I suppose I need this, – this, this falls into that muddled mission. Andy oh, – Andy's just run off. But, but surely health has to be – uh, a primary focus. I mean, even the UN Charter says, uh, and the UN guidelines see that you know, creating healthy children has to be at least core and central to what it is we do. Andy, what did you want to say on that? Uh, you know, Nathan and I work in the international system. We have our units in place. The classroom teachers will say, you know, can you cover this in PE? And then we're more than happy to cover it in PE, but. Oftentimes that calls into question activity time, you know, so it's you're trying to balance keeping the kids physically active uh, as opposed to helping address these health outcomes that the classroom teachers can address as well. So returning back to the outcomes and kind of balancing that out. And, and I think, as Nathan said, we're all responsible. The village is responsible. So I think um, just having those discussions. I think, I think, yeah, I think um, related to what Nathan said as far as it taking a village, I mean, and, and related to what Dean said, where, you know, all the problems are put on schools and the, the, every, all of society's problems are because schools aren't very good. And that, either with respect to obesity, we could give kids bark and berries all day long at school and they could run and run and run for eight hours. And if they go home and eat ding-dongs and Doritos... <laughs> There it is. <laughs> I, I, I said it last time. I said it last time. If, if that's We can't put... Yeah, what well, we should have said ding dongs. That's not a universal term, anyway. But we and but that's the, what everybody is. As Nathan said, that's what, you're the PE teacher. Oh, this kid's hurt. You, you should be able to take care of that. Well, I'm not an athletic trainer. I'm not a doctor. Or what should I be eating? I don't know what you should be eating. I'm a PE teacher. I mean, I don't. You know, I'm not a I'm not a dietitian. And everything is put on schools, and then within a school, everything's put on the PE teacher with respect anything related to the physical body. And I think that relates to no one knows what we do. They don't have a clue. Even teachers don't know what we do because they think our job is to integrate math because we've gone to them and said, hey, how can we integrate math? And they say, oh, that must be what PE does. Well, that's we're trying to be cordial and, and be collegial, but what are what is, what is PE? And I don't think we know. I don't think – I think if – and I think I said this last time too. If you ask 100 people what PE is, they're all going to give you a different a message. And that's a major, major problem in PE is we don't know what the heck we stand for. Okay, so let's work on a premise, right? Because this this argument and all this discussion won't progress if we go back to the what is PE, and we've discussed that in the last two episodes. So let's work on a premise, then. 
if the premise is that physical education does exist at least to improve the health of youth, school-aged youth, so this goes back to that McKenzie premise, you know, if exercise is medicine, is PE the pill not taken? So if, if physical education exists at least in part to improve the health of youth, how much and how do we address that? How much of a role do we play as educa physical educators? I think one thing we have to be careful of is, is this saying that I've seen a lot on Twitter is people say, oh, kids need more physical activity, kids need more physical activity. See, we need more PE. Where do we have any evidence that we get much physical activity out of PE? I mean, I agree we need PE. Obviously, I'm here talking about it. I think this is my passion. This is what I do. But I think we have to be careful to say PE is going to get kids a ton of activity. It's like saying PE is going to get kids skilled or PE is going to get kids fit. It's not. We don't have enough time. You can have them daily and you might make an impact on those things. But we don't have that as often in most places, I would assume. So, you know, I just think we have to be very careful on what we say, it goes back to the last comments and what um, Nathan kind of alluded to is PE, we're not the obesity fighters. I mean, that's often we say that. That's what we are. Kids are obese, so we need more PE. What, what are, again, it goes back to what are we? And if we say we're about the health of kids, then we need to start identifying and this discussion needs to be happening on a broader level. Okay, so it needs to be more than time though, right? Okay, so thinking yeah. that PE is the only pillar that, that's going to cure some non-communicable disease, I think, is a fallacy. If we think, if, if your argument resorts, you've got obese kids, or you've got kids with diabetes, or you've got kids that are socially inept, and giving more time to physical education, or giving any time to physical education is going to cure it, I think you're up against it. I mean, I think in the US, correct me if I'm wrong, um, and you guys at the international schools, I think the US mandate for 150, or that mandate, they recommend 150 minutes for elementary kids and 225 minutes per week for secondary. Does that sound about right to you guys? <laughs> it's a recommendation, and there's yeah. some states so, that say they meet it, but there's all kinds of loopholes and, and marching yeah. band and Study hall count as PE, that kind of stuff. So let's 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 go best case scenario, right? I'll just do some quick math in my head. Best case scenario. So the <coughs> I remember when I was working at the UN on this is that they wanted to put minutes around, and I, I used to argue that putting minutes around PE is futile, and that and the reason um, the reason it's futile is because schools have different demands on their time. What you're really better off doing is mandating a percentage of curriculum time, right? And that percentage of curriculum time should be at least as equally weighted as other subjects. So your creative arts and your maths and your languages, etc. So in the best case scenario, do you want to jump in quickly, Aaron? Do you want I, to say I just have a question. Do other areas do the same thing with percentage? Or yeah, are we no, being... Yeah, no, typically most curriculum areas, most most countries will give a minute mandation or they'll mandate a certain amount of hours or minutes that uh, allocate to a curriculum. But what we find in really high-achieving nations is that they allocate an evenly weighted or close to evenly weighted percentage across all curriculum areas, right? It, it, it ensures a broad, diverse, rich curriculum offered to children. International schools are quite good at it. Norway is quite good at it, some of the Scandinavian countries. So... I'm just I'll spitball some numbers. If we've got five hours, we have kids in teaching and learning time, uh, five hours a day, five days a week, so 25 hours, 25 hours a week of teaching time. 
if we were to give, the recommendation that we come up with was about 8 to 12% of curriculum time to physical education, independent of health, independent of sport, independent of anything else, but 10% of the curriculum time to PE. That's a best-case scenario of 150 minutes a week. Right? Best case. That's best case, and that's the minimum recommendation that they've got in the US. It's more likely to be somewhere between that. In most schools, it's going to be between 5 and 10%. So if we went somewhere down the middle and said that there's 100 minutes, 100 minutes of physical education a week, I think that people in the US would be cheering if they got 100 minutes of PE a week. I know a lot of my teachers would be cheering if they got 100 minutes a week. But what we know from the literature is that the way PE is currently delivered, you can write 30% of that time off straight off the bat, getting kids changed, organising them into teams, you know, any, any, all the management stuff that's associated with running effective PE classes, we lose, unlike other areas, we lose 30% of our, of our instruction time. So that, that really takes you down to about 70 minutes a week. And Aaron would probably know this from, from his stuff, is the best case scenario without intervention, you're only going to get 35% of that time kids being moderate, vigorously, vigorously active. So what are we down to? We're down to 35 minutes. 35 to 40 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. Now, the recommendations in most Western countries is 60 minutes a day. So what part of the equation are we trying to answer here? If we're, if we're like a, a preventative, like for asthma, you know, you take your preventative inhaler and then you take your other one if, you, if you've actually got it. Um, are we that kind of medicine? Are we, are we, are we the placebo I don't know. Is that what? Well, I think. I think maybe anything? the analogy. Is, oh, Andy, go ahead. Sorry. And then you. Goes back to Dean. You and I had this discussion last year, and um, just having kids get changed. Is it an yeah. absolute necessity? Nice. Can can we as PE teachers, if we control the time that we have, so if it's 150 a week, uh, minutes a week, and then you look at. Uh, kids coming to class and leaving class, and that eats into our time. Um, when you look at the factors that we can control, I see some stuff on Twitter, and I see uh, conversations being had on Twitter. Are are you going to uh, teachers asking each other, uh, what do you do about uniforms if kids don't wear uniforms? I've worked at uh, observed schools and actions where if the kid doesn't wear the the proper PE shirt, they have to sit out for the whole ninety minute class. You know, so again, it goes back to what can we control within the time that we do have, Aaron. And and, and then we fail them, and then we wonder why we have huge class sizes because they have to take PE again. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's probably a whole different, whole different episode. But back to what you're talking about, um, <clears throat> Dean. I think the the analogy is is if this if we're doing this medicine analogy, then when you go to the doctor's office. If it's if that's the equivalent of come to physical education, what we basically do in physical education is give them a shot, and what we want to be able to do in PE is give them the medicine that they can take home and continue to take it when they get home or outside of PE. If that makes sense, you get. I mean, because you can't if if we, if is PE medicine. No, PE is probably a shot that then prescribes medicine that they go home and take because we don't want them. We're not worried about how much activity that they get when they're with us. I mean, it, it is important. Because I don't think you, I don't think you motivate a kid to want to be active by talking about it. I mean, I think they have to be active, but we don't do a good enough job of promoting physical activity beyond 
the four walls of our gymnasium. And I think Nathan had something as well. Yeah, can I just make a suggestion here? And I know this is probably another topic as well, and it's something that's that we could talk about for a long time. Should shouldn't if if we know like you've talked about these numbers and the lack of time that we have and and that time not being enough for us to meet these uh, recommended guidelines of what how active kids should be, shouldn't we be using our time to develop the mindsets of these kids and the skills and the ideas in their heads so that when we're not with them, if we're only getting 30, 35 minutes with them a week, that those other 100 hours that they're going and doing that in their own time with their parents, with their family, with their friends, developing that, that physical literacy, that confidence and competence so that, you know, like we can't, we can't physically do it in the time that we have. But what we can okay. do is provide them with the tools to maybe go and do that in their own yeah. time. I'm going to jump in. You said it better than this, I did, Nathan. I'm going to jump. Oh, yeah, I was going to give this off to you after that, Aaron. But so, Nathan, so your, your question is an interesting one, right? But then it drills down to I, I want to take on what Aaron said and what you've just said. So Aaron's saying maybe it's a shot that you go home and then you take more medicine. So I don't know many people that you get a shot that then goes, oh, I'm going to take more medicine unless it's some sort of – I might give, you might smoke some pot and make sure – Hungry, right? So it might be, it might, it might, it might do that. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's not, maybe it's not a pill at all. Maybe they've got the analogy wrong. Maybe it's just a consultation, right? Someone that you that's, talk that's, to. That's probably a better analogy. Like, yeah, yeah, a checkup where you know someone, a skilled professional, sits you down and they look at where you are in your life with your circumstances. And, you know, the paper Vicky and I wrote was really power, uh, around being an activator of learning was really around that clinical model, right? How do you diagnose what a student's needs are? What intervention can you give them so they make better choices and improve their learning? And then how do you evaluate that that's had some effect? It's a very clinical, cyclic approach. But what I wanted to go on, the thing you said about skills, I want to tap in this because I know Aaron will have some comments too. Yes, you just say we, we're... De- the, we're down to 35 minutes and that's if we don't force them to get changed Andy and we don't have silly policies in schools that restrict kids being able to learn imagine if you didn't bring the right clothes and they shut you out of an English lesson people would lose their minds on that stuff right but we do it in PE all the time and we're down to we're down to 35 minutes of active learning time let's call it that what skills do you prioritize if you said, you know, a lot, there's, there is some literature around there on sk- uh, around skill development, right? But which ones do you pick? And I'll, I'll give you some background on this. There are two, typically two types of skills that um, we think about. They're, they can be phylogenic skills. So they're the ones that are going to develop without any instruction because they're based around our survival, right? The ability to walk, for example, right? You learn that, you learn that without going to physical education, I hope. Maybe you didn't, Andy, but the rest of us learned to walk without going to a PE class. Right. I don't and then know what you've got what you called it. What do you call it? What kind of skills? Phylogenic. Okay. With a P. Right. The P is the P makes that sound. Yeah. All right. Now we're now we're getting into phonics too. <laughs> we can drop some other F words if that's appropriate. <laughs> So you've got the phylogenic skills, and then you've got the orthogenic skills, which are the socially driven ones, right? So a tennis serve, for example, you didn't need to know how to serve a tennis ball to outrun dinosaurs, but you do need to learn how to serve 
a tennis ball to be engaged in socially inclusive, physically active behaviour that people, especially in Western societies, now rely on so heavily. So where do we draw, what, where do we focus our energy and time on in terms of skill development, if that's part of the diagnosis? Can, can, you, can you tell me any, uh, I don't know this, any research that has found that physical education can get kids skilled? Physical education on 35 minutes. Are we? Um, I, I know. I know that there are that, that certain models of instruction are more likely to develop what you know they call them fundamental movement skills, but that's a subjective term. But specifically, direct instruction models tend to so when you actually bring someone down and break it down, but uh, break down the skill and tell them what they're doing wrong and correct it. But then, largely, those sorts of instruction techniques are one, they're time intensive. Um, and so, and because of the nature of them being direct instruction, they often, they often require the student to bring a lot of motivation to the activity to learn them in the first place. For example, so, if, you, if, you, if I rock up and you, you want me to throw a gridiron ball, like an American football, <laughs> why would I throw a football like that? I don't play any games where you have to throw the ball over my head. I throw it to the side, right, like if we're doing rugby. So whilst direct instruction is quite good in teaching movement skills, it does have some limitations about the motivations brought towards it. We've got these new models now like teaching games for understanding and these, these uh, game-centered tactical approaches which use games to incentivize the learning of skills. But what we don't have is good evidence that teachers can actually do that, can then pull out the necessary skills and teach them where appropriate. And that's the real flaw in, in that model at this stage, and we know it's pedagogically difficult. Go, Aaron. So, so related to what Nathan said, that he said much better than I did earlier, mm. uh, it, you know, when you go back to skills, knowledge, and attitude, are skills the issue? Is, it, is that what we, we need to spend our 35 minutes on, or are we better off spending our 35 minutes making kids think, wow, I can't get enough of this. Whatever we just did, I can't get enough of it. I want to do it again, regardless of whether I'm skilled or not. And then... If, if we make them think tennis is the greatest thing ever, then they leave PE and they want to go do tennis somewhere. We can help them say, you know, there's a block from here. There are tennis courts that you never go by because you go the other way home from school. But you could get there. We can get you a racket and you can play tennis more. I mean, is that far-fetched? Maybe some places, maybe not other places. But if, if we don't get that attitude, if we can get them skilled, Say I take my 35 minutes and I drill them and drill them and drill them and I have the most sophisticated motor learning and motor development and I can get them skilled and they hate it. What have we accomplished? Go ahead. Andy. Yeah. This, is, this is a good uh, situation for the IB because the, the PYP schools always talk about the, the ultimate goal or the end goal of the, the PYP program. So the primary years program in elementary school is kids taking action on their learning. So what you're describing, Aaron, is kids taking action. So we provide them with those aha moments where whatever it is we're doing in PE, they are so into it that they go home and they ask their parents, buy me a badminton set. I want to start playing badminton. So where we leave them with that feeling that they want to take action on, on what they've done. So if we only have 35 or 40 minutes a week, then... I believe we need to leave the kids with, with the idea that they can take initiative and action to, to further learn whatever it is we've been doing in PE. 
All right, I'm going to let Nathan go, and Aaron, go and take a cough lozenge. Yeah. Go. No, I'm just going to, like, go off what Andy said. Like, I think, you know, there's nothing better as a PE teacher for me sometimes when, like, I'm on lunch duty and I see kids recreating games and experiences and things that they've done in PE during their free lunch time play or after school. And for me, like, that's, to me, that I look at that and think, like, yeah, great. Like, I've that's a big win because... They've taken something that I found I thought was important enough to to teach them, and they're now using that in their own in their own play in their own time where they find value in it. So, like in in a, in a bigger scale, we just need to scale that up and say, well, like how do we make that happen when they're twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty onwards? Okay, so one one of the one of the big issues, and this is this is recognised internationally, is that we're seeing declining rates of participation in youth sport, right? Especially in Western nations, that's dropping off. And you know, major international organisations like the IOC and UNESCO see that one of the core functions in in physical education is around community engagement, right? And what what you've all said links into this really essential point that we're not doing well in schools and. And that is creating so students feel that um, yeah that they've learned something there and they're so motivated that, that they go out and then they connect with their community. Now, when we think about what schools can do, what schools are particularly rich in are human intellectual capital. Right? You think about it: the average four-year-old, four-year trained teacher, even an elementary teacher, knows more about human development than the guy that's coaching. Uh, under eights playing tennis down the road, to use your analogy. So there's this great intellectual wealth that sits in schools all around the globe. What they lack, um, maybe not in massive schools like yours, Andy, or oh, you're unemployed, I forgot, but yours, Nathan, is um, is is the physical infrastructure, right? Because that's that rests in communities. And I really liked your your tennis analogy, Aaron, because I, I want to tell a little anecdote here. I, I used to, uh, here in Sydney, uh, in my local council area, if you're a tennis coach, a registered tennis coach, you used to be able to pay uh, $50 and they'd give you a key to unlock any of the council tennis courts, right? And what I used to do is I used to keep a diary and when I used the courts, I'd write in my diary and at the end of the month, I'd say, here's when I used the tennis courts, they'd send me a bill, right? $10 an hour or whatever it was to use the court. And then a new guy stepped in and all the locks had changed. And I went down to play one night and he said, oh, uh, rang, no, you've changed the locks. Yes, it's now $50 per visit and you have to leave a deposit and uh, then we'll give you the deposit when you give the key back and it's $12 an hour. And I said, what, what teenager, what child is going to have access to this court now? Oh, that's not our problem. I said, you know, it's not your problem because I, I had a bit of a, a delinquent youth. I would have gone down to the local hardware store with my $5, bought a set of wire cutters and gone straight through your fence and played whenever I damn well felt like. But this is what we're up against, right? We're up against these people that keep on pushing back to physical education needs to be motivating children to get out into the community and play their sports. And then we're building these ridiculous social infrastructures um, and rules and restrictions and cost impediments that actually prevent than making that trans that transfer. So maybe it's not to bring the argument full circle. I'm happy for people to make comment here. Maybe it's maybe thinking of it as a pill is is a is a really poor analogy in terms of medicine. Really, what everyone's spoken about here is a, a physical education teacher in a in a medical analogy is really 
almost like a psychologist. You know, we sit down and we talk and we, we try and tap into those really underpinning motivations of where people are at in their lives and then maybe give them some opportunities and some direction to explore those issues. Aaron, I don't know. What's I, I think I think it, it's probably more hats than just a psychologist. I mean, you end up becoming yeah. a lot of different things at a at a child's level. But you're right. I mean, we're the only ones that are trained to do a lot of things. And I think um, I know we're running short on time. Maybe this brings us again kind of full circle in the next topic to talk about in the future is the role of the PE teacher in the schools. Is it? We we tend to so many times focus on physical education being confined to the four walls of the gymnasium, or if you don't have a gym, wherever your teaching area is. But it seems to me what we're leading to here is the role of the PE teacher is well beyond those walls and that what we do in a, my daughter's, I, I calculate it while you're talking to you, my daughter's 3% of their time is PE and they have 50 minutes a week. So it's only 3% of their time. But so well, that that's 3%. That's got to be, that's got to be almost irresponsible. Imagine if you only got 3% of mathematics. Yeah, it's, 50, it's 50 minutes a week, and they have, I figure they were in school, I think it's 1,500 hours or something like that. No, it's not 1,500, whatever. I don't know what the math was, but anyway. Um, but I think that kind of leads us to the role of the PE teacher in thinking differently about what we are because we are trying to um, – we're worried about we're, – we're concerned with the health and we're concerned with the of, of physical activity of students – and we know we can't do it during the during the, the time that we have them, but we need to take that time that we have them to try and expand it and expand our role in the schools, which I know a lot of you've heard of the whole of school or comprehensive school physical activity programs. And I think that's kind of where this is all leading, that we, we have to be bigger than just the four walls of the gymnasium. Nathan, you want to make a comment? Yeah, I just think like if I'm just listening to what everyone's saying and, and sort of like trying to pull a, a common thread out of it. And it goes back to a lot of the other discussions that we've had around relationships and the relationships that you build with the students, the other teachers in the school, the parents, the community. And I think like, I really hope that, you know, I hope that people are listening to this, this podcast and I hope that people who, who aren't listening, that, that we can share this with them because I think that like, you're right. Like, there are a lot of people out there right now in the physical education profession who think that their role is to make sure that their kids are sweaty and happy. And I think if that's all that we're aspiring to, then we're missing that whole point about building relationships and, and enabling students. We're not the psychologists in that sense. We're, we're, we're being the almost like a physiotherapist or a doctor again in, in prescribing activity. Um, so I think that like, if you can build those relationships and you understand your students and you know where they're at and, and what they're interested in, then you can make those suggestions to them about how maybe they can continue to be more active as they, as they grow older. Andy. And, and to add on what to, to what Nathan said, it requires flexible planning then. I mean, we're all discussing the ideal program, I think. You know, uh, not the realities that, that teachers face uh, current day, but if we're going to create these relevant experiences, then we have to be flexible in the way we plan and and deliver the, the content that we're trying to deliver and the, the units that we teach. So it takes a lot of flexibility as the units progress um, to provide those relevant experiences. Okay. Okay. 
I think I think we might tie that up. I think we've actually posed some questions which we're going to want to flesh out in future episodes. I just want to thank all my guests today, Aaron, Andy, and Nathan, and in absentia, Joey. Um, do we have, no, I don't even think we have to thank him. All right. I hope you listen to this, Joey. You missed out on something, and we didn't need you. Uh, apart from that, I hope uh, we all had. Uh, we, thank you for listening, um, and we hope you join us for our next episode. See you next time. See ya. There you go, you take your medicine even though